Hey guys, it's your girl Boonie. You're listening to episode 170 of the Boonie Breakdown Podcast, your source for all things responsible and ratchet. The transmission of information in this episode is not intended to establish and receipt of such information does not establish or constitute an attorney-client relationship. The listener should not act on the information contained in any of the material of this podcast without first consulting their own legal counsel. All right, guys, welcome to this week's episode. As you can already tell from this disclaimer that this week's episode is hella responsible. Uh, If you've been noticing this season, I've been alternating. It's been one ratchet episode, one responsible episode. So this week we are responsible. I can't even begin to imagine how many people need the information in this episode, myself included. But our guest this week is Portia Wood of Wood Legal Group. Uh, that is a African-American mother, a daughter, estate planning law firm. And they wish to close the information gap that keeps Black, Latino, LGBTQ families from leveraging and protecting their assets to create generational wealth. So this episode, if you've been on the fence uh putting things off for later like I'll get to it I'll make a will we go through all of this I I asked Portia really good questions that were kind of a 101 a situation where should you start what could you do who should you reach out to and Portia's um passion around creating generational wealth for particularly black families is uh admirable It inspired me and I think some of the creative ways that she has coached her clients and that she's even used herself to protect assets and set up her her child for their future. This I mean, the episode is bomb. Get you a pen and a paper, a pad right now because you're going to be taking so many notes. So please stick around for that conversation. All right. We're hopping into my pick of the week. This week, my pick of the week is Manny Me. Yes, Manny Me. I have talked about this before, um, especially a lot of us in the pandemic, uh, Instagram ads and doing a lot of Amazon shopping. I haven't done a lot. It's been moments where I went overboard and moments when I did nothing. But I kept seeing this Instagram ad for Manny Me. And pretty much what it is, it is custom gel manicures. And it's like stickers, essentially, is what it is. And I tested them out. I'm on my second set. I'm in love. They're, they were only like $20 or something and they last it and they're super cute. All these designs. And if you're like me right now on a budget and can't afford all of the design, well, not can't afford, but choosing not to splurge on that expense right now, <laughs> uh, this is a great option. So I will link my referral code. I think if you use it, you get like $10 off your first order or something like that, but it will be in the show notes and on the boonybreakdown.com. Check it out. I am a fan, so this will ride me over until we add that expense back into the budget. (laughs) Housekeeping. Feedback from episode 169 with our friend Sheika. Everything is a fucking scam. (laughs) I think the biggest feedback from Would You, um, not Would You Rather Wednesday, but from uh, Talk to Boonie Tuesday was all of the topics that people said were scams. And um, the biggest takeaway were men. Men were scams. <laughs> oh, I think, you know, for context, if you're this is your first time listening, in romantic heterosexual relationships, a lot of women were saying that the men were scams here. Um, also, we did another um, things that hit different when you're older segment. And we talked about a thin line between love and hate. It was a lot of discussion around that. And it was so interesting to see how in the poll, 90, at least 90% of the people now uh, watching that movie as an adult realize that Brandy was not the villain. <laughs> she was not the villain at all. So thank you guys for listening to that episode. And if you have not go back, you can get a few chuckles. All right, for all of my listeners, whether you have an Android or an iPhone, I am letting you know right now, SoundCloud will be going away as an option to listen to this podcast. Um, As I was looking at the number of downloads, 
Um, I just cannot justify that added expense anymore for the podcast. Um, it does not appear that a huge population of my uh, listeners listen to SoundCloud. And so you guys need to start, if you do listen to SoundCloud on SoundCloud, you need to start migrating to a new platform because in about two weeks, April 5th, uh, next week's episode will be the last episode that will go over there. After April 5th, there will be no more episodes on SoundCloud. Okay, it won't be it will be whatever is free for me to allow. So I think they only allow like three episodes at a time. Um, but if you want to have the access to the whole arsenal of our entire catalog of 170 episodes, you need to make your way to another platform. If you are a Droid listener, um, I will let you know, and you have a Samsung phone, I submitted my podcast to be one of the inaugural podcasts on Samsung Podcast. So hopefully um, I'll have word. And as soon as I know it's there, you guys can listen to it there. Droid folks, if you were an iPhone user and you were listening on SoundCloud, uh, you can listen on Apple Podcasts, which is the purple app on your phone. We're also available on Spotify, which is available on both types of devices. iHeartRadio, available on both types of devices. Google Podcasts, you don't even need an app. You can just type in the Boonie Breakdown. The episodes show up in Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, Amazon Music, YouTube. We're even on YouTube. I don't talk about that a lot, but we have every single episode is available on YouTube. So there are so many other ways that you can keep your new episodes of the Boonie Breakdown podcast coming to your phone. But again, April 5th episode will be the last episode that will be on SoundCloud potentially. So let's uh, start migrating to other places. I will link in the show notes. Uh, you can head on over to the booneybreakdown.com backslash podcast to directly link you to all of these avenues as well. So let's say goodbye to SoundCloud. Also, it's a few more days left to use the promo code STIMMY, S-T-I-M-M-Y, all cap letters to save 20% on your orders over $30. Head on over to thebooniebreakdown.com backslash shop to get all of your merchandise. You guys are really love the Dream Bigger Bitch cup right mug right now. Uh, that has been a popular seller uh, this year. So thank you guys. So again, that promo code STIMMY, uh, ends on March 31st, 2021. If you are new here or you've been feeling us out and you haven't followed us on social media, I don't know what you're waiting on. Head on over right now to Instagram and Facebook and follow us at The Boonie Breakdown. On Twitter, we're just at Boonie Breakdown, okay? And when sharing this episode, put it in your Insta stories. Tweet us, tag us. You can tag us. You can use the hashtag The Boonie Breakdown and the hashtag pod in P-O-D-I-N. And if you're feeling so inclined, you can hit five stars over in the Apple Podcast app and leave us a lovely review. You can hear your review in a future episode if you do that. So that is it for me. So let's get ready to break it down. All right, guys, uh, this is your girl, Boonie, and I'm excited for this episode, even though our guest just said this is not a sexy topic. I think we can still make it hot. <laughs> so I want to welcome Portia Wood Esquire to the Boonie Breakdown. Hi. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. It's not a sexy topic, girl, but we're going we're gonna to make it sexy. Don't worry. We we're, are. We're, we're going to make it interesting. interesting. And yes. it's, so, it's something that is so necessary that we do. And I first, um, we did not meet, but I saw you on a panel. I think it was during last year before COVID um, mm-hmm. at the Baltimore Book Festival, Light Festival. Oh, yeah. And yeah, yeah. Uh, Jennifer put together the panel and I saw you there. And so I remember like, screenshotting or like putting stuff in my Insta story. Like it was blowing my mind. Some of the stuff you were saying. And I'm like, all right, noted future episode. <laughs> she was like, and here we go. Next episode. I love it. I yeah. love that. That was such an incredible panel. I just got to say the women on the stage. Oh, it was totally it was, a good one. Yeah. So first, okay. The first thing I'm going to say, I always try to start with a little one Oh one. Okay. What exactly is estate planning for people who just, because the word itself is kind of off-putting. It sounds mm-hmm. like I need to be super wealthy because 
I don't have an estate, so I don't need to plan for one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that. so estate planning is really just the orderly distribution of everything that you're working for, right? So there's the element of when you pass away, what happens to everything you have, right? Mm-hmm. So if you are above the age of 18, you have to have an estate plan. We just don't all need the same estate plan. Ah. So, I mean, that's really the difference. And, and the challenge is, is that in the media, estate planning, particularly trust, have been portrayed as sort of a, a tool of the wealthy that doesn't apply to the average person. And that's not true. Everyone over the age of 18 needs some form of an estate plan. There's also the plan that happens while you're alive. Who gets to make decisions for you if you get sick? And right now we're in a global health pandemic. So, Listen, you know, there's no time than the present that it's more important than ever. I feel like this pandemic has shifted so much, brought so much into focus for a lot of people. And I'm going to say myself yeah. included. And I feel like at any moment, it's been like, we've been surrounded by so much death and loss this year with COVID that I I just curious, like, have you seen an uptick in people's curiosity or reaching out to you for services of like, Let me get my things in order. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, again, we talk about this idea about estate planning not being sexy, but the reality is, is that people always think they have time, particularly younger people. They're like, Mm -hmm. oh, I have time to do that. I don't have to think about that right now. You know, I'm not dying tomorrow. So I have time. And what this pandemic has shown people is that we are literally in our homes and afraid of going outside. Like our kids aren't going to school. We're not, you know, in many instances and in many parts of the country, we're not going to work, you know, and, and that put this, this sort of fire in people to say, Oh wait, no, tomorrow could Mm -hmm. be a very different situation for me and for my family than today. And I really need to get something in place today. So the pandemic has brought it taken away that uh, procrastination element that people had of, you know, it's just not my time yet and really made it ever present. Um, The people that I see doing it a lot are are people with minor kids, people Mm -hmm. who own homes, people with businesses, um, because they've started to think about this idea of what happens to all this stuff that I'm building or to my minor children if something happens to me versus I I need to have a certain asset level. When I saw you at that panel, I immediately, and I'm this is my bias too, right? Because I don't have children. And right. so I immediately texted my friends with kids, like, you guys have to have something, like, what if something happened to you? Who's going to raise right. the twins? Who's going to do, like, who's doing this stuff? So yeah. it's unfair to put that urgency on people who just have children. No, it's not. No, it's not. I put that urgency on people all the time. Like, you must. <laughs> like, what are you doing? But, I, but I'm also the mother of a three-year-old, right? Gotcha. And so the way, when I was pregnant, I did all of the classes. I did everything, right? The infant CPR <laughs> classes and the birthing classes and, and all of these things about how to be a good parent. And I was surprised that there was absolutely nothing about the legal aspect. Mm. How do you pick a guardian if something were to happen to you? Because it's not sexy. It's not fun. <laughs> it's, it's, not. It's, it's not the part that people want to think about when they're gearing up to have a child. But the reality is, is if something were to happen to you, who is now legally authorized to step up and take care of your children? And do you want to leave that up to the courts? Because we have a lot of misconceptions that it's just going to be our parents. Or it's just going to be our sibling. The person mm-hmm. that we decided we in our minds that we wanted was like, <laughs> it's just going to magically be that. It's going to work out. <laughs> it's going to work out. And and the reality is, is that it doesn't just work out. Yeah. Right? It doesn't, it doesn't work out that way. And we see people fighting all the time in court over who gets to manage the kids. And often it's both sides of the family, mm. right? So it's, it's dad's side, mom's side, or, you know, if you're in same sex relationships, it's both side of the, of the family fighting for these children and they're left in the middle sort of waiting for the people who are supposed to be loving them through this tragedy. Right. Yeah. yeah, It could have been avoided. Um, And it's, it's a fairly simple process to avoid it, but there's a, there's an information gap. Most people don't even know that they can avoid it. Mm. And so they don't. Right. It's like you don't have this conversations enough. Yeah. You don't know what you don't know. And I feel like even, um, because I think the biggest takeaway from me hearing you speak and then I've done some other research is that I never even connected the dots that 
um, doing a little work now, paying an attorney now to set up what I want to happen when I'm no longer here. One Mm -hmm. will just make it easier on the people who I leave behind so they can grieve without worrying about what do we do? And then two, it's the, the, um, parameters of I've already done this for you, right? Like the work is done. (laughs) So all it needs to be done is executed. And that is a big portion. That's fairly simple. That's fairly simple. And in our community, uh, particularly in the black community, right? 70% of us approximately have zero estate planning at all. And so when we pass away, we are requiring court or government interference to pass our assets. And we are not leaving any instructions. We're not leaving any protections for the generations that come behind us. And there was a study that was done that said 13% of college-educated African-Americans leave $10,000 or more to the next generation, with the average amount left being less than $40,000, which means 87% of college-educated African-Americans are leaving less than $10,000 to the next generation. And that is not because we don't have assets. And it's not because we don't have stuff. It's because we do not have a plan for that stuff. And so what you're saying is this, just taking the steps and doing the work and being uncomfortable with facing mortality and death, mm-hmm. um, you're going to actually be building wealth. If you're, how, else, how do you think everybody yeah, else like, is building wealth? <laughs> like the reality is, is that these are not American concepts. Mm-hmm. Trusts are not American concepts. We got that from the British. This has been a concept and in, in a structure for passing wealth for hundreds of years. It's not new. It's just new to our community because they don't teach it in school, right? Mm-hmm. They don't even teach finance in school, really. It's like, how do you um, balance a check, <laughs> a, a checking right. account, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, and I I went to a private school and we had a whole class on like, how do you manage money? And then I went to public school and there was zero conversation about it. And I was just like, how are, how's anybody supposed to know how any of this works if they're not learning it and where they learn it is at the dinner table. They learn it at home. Mm -hmm. And I see that difference with my clients, you know, people who grew up in households where this was just a normal part of the conversation, know the value. They walk in, they're like, I know what I need. And, you know, let's craft a plan about my goals. They they understand the value of it immediately. Cause they're like, I already have one. And I just want to make sure that I set it up right for my kids and for the people who come forward. With our community, people often walk in and they go, I, I think I just need a will. I and I look at them that. and I go, okay, <laughs> all right, well, let's talk about that. What's your asset level? Okay. What, what's your family structure? Okay. What are your goals? Okay. Yeah. A will is not going to be sufficient for any of those three. Gotcha. And so, right? so you just said this, a will is not sufficient. What are some of the key documents that someone would need to work with an attorney to have in place to make sure that they could potentially pass on some things and not leave less than $10,000 to their family. I mean, obviously the first piece is always going to be what is inside of your estate? Like what is your asset level? Right. And and it's all a case by case basis. You should not have a one size fits all plan Mm -hmm. because nobody's families, nobody's asset levels, nobody's goals are the same. There are three things that I tell people all the time that if you're over the age of 18 or if you're an emancipated minor, you should have right now today. First is going to be a property power of attorney. And I know that, um, actually, let me dial it back for a second. Disclaimer, right? I am an attorney, but I am not. Anyone who's listening to this is attorney. <laughs> yes, even if I am, this is not, this is not uh, individual legal advice, right? And Estate laws do change state by state. There is the federal, uh, there's the federal laws, and then there are individual state laws. And so you want to make sure that you're talking to someone in your state specifically to understand what the rules are and how it works in your particular state. With that disclaimer being said, there are three things that generally, regardless of what state you're in, you're going to need. First is going to be a property power of attorney. And that might have a different name depending on the state you're in. It might be called a uniform statutory power of attorney. It might be called a financial power of attorney. And depending on your state, it may be tweaked a little bit. But essentially what you are doing is legally authorizing someone to be able to access your bank accounts, to manage your person, to take care of you in the event you are unable to care for yourself. Let's think about the global health pandemic we're already in, right? If you were to get covid and then get severe disease and be in the hospital, who makes sure your bills are paid? 
your rent, your mortgage, who keeps your car from being repossessed? Who is able to, you know, talk to social security or negotiate with your landlord? Nobody is legally empowered to do that for you if you're not able to do it for yourself, unless you have authorized someone. And if you haven't authorized someone, then in most states, there's something called a guardianship or a conservatorship proceeding where your family or your friends, if you don't have family, would have to go to the court and ask for permission mm-hmm. to be able to handle these affairs on your behalf. It's like, who wants to do all that? <laughs> well, A, who wants to do all that? B, it's incredibly expensive and mm. time consuming. So expensive from a money element, but also from a time element, because if you are incapacitated for longer than a year... Every year, your conservator needs to come back to court to present an accounting of what they've spent your money on. Because, and people say to me all the time, they go, but Portia, that seems like a racket. It seems like the court just trying to take our money. Sure, except you left the court in charge of this really incredibly important role because you didn't pick for yourself. And so they have to make sure that the person they did pick, because they don't know your family, they don't know your friends, they have to make sure that that person hasn't stolen your money and thrown you in a corner somewhere and left with everything you've worked for. And we made them responsible by not picking for ourselves. And so by not picking, they have to have some form of checks and balance to make sure that the person they pick isn't, isn't taking advantage of us. And so you can easily avoid that by just electing those people yourselves by proper legal documents. Yeah. The next is going to be your healthcare documents. So it's going to be your healthcare power of attorney who gets to make those medical decisions. And that is different than your property power of attorney because your property power of attorney mm-hmm. is really dealing with your stuff. Your healthcare power of attorney is dealing specifically with your healthcare and your medical decisions. And they can be different people. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's good to have them be different people because in the event something happens to you, that's a lot of responsibility to put oh, on one someone, person. <laughs> right. To put on one person to manage you while you are ill, but also then manage your healthcare mm-hmm. and your stuff and making sure the bills are paid as well as themselves and whatever else they've got going on in their lives. So, you know, having these people in place can be incredibly important. And there's different sort of personality traits that you want someone to have mm-hmm. for these different roles. So in your healthcare sphere, you've got your healthcare power of attorney. You also have your HIPAA authorization forms, which is giving your power of attorney the right to look at your medical records because they're protected. And so you have to specifically say that I want them to be able to access my past medical records, not just make decisions about me right now. So both. And why is that important? Because we want them to make informed decisions. (laughs) And it's like, if you don't know about all these things that are going on in my medical history, like how are you going to make a a good and informed decision about me? And then the final one is, is an advanced healthcare directive or a living will. What kind of medical decisions do you want? If you are on a ventilator, which is one of the treatments for COVID-19 and people are getting off the ventilators, Mm -hmm. do you want that? Because a lot of people have elected to not go on a ventilator because they don't want that level of life support. But then COVID-19 happened. And the question is, well, would you want it in this particular instance? Or is that a blanket statement for any medical condition? And so people have to keep updating them and changing them depending on what's happening in their family structure, what's happening in society. But that's really your second thing that everybody needs. Your third is going to be some form of a distribution plan. And this is where the variety comes in. This is where it really does depend on your family structure, on your asset level, and your goals. What you are trying to achieve with your estate plan for your family is different. Like I said, I'm a single parent with a three-year-old. I own real estate. I've got a business. What I want to do is not only get my child to 18, but get him through the rest of his life and his kids Yeah, and provide a financial foundation for them that I have protected that will allow them to be great, right? And I know that I have this child that I've got to make sure there's enough money in my estate to do that. So I've leveraged life insurance to be able to do that and, and other assets so that I know what my estate plan will have if I were to die before my son reaches the age of majority. And, that's, and the, that's different. Yeah. I'm like, and that's the thing. Like I had to serve as um, when my grandmother was still mm-hmm. living and my mom was her business power of attorney and mm-hmm. I had her healthcare power of attorney. Yeah. And it was by design because my grandmother knew that I would be the one who, who could be like, no, she's going to do this. Or I'm going to talk her into getting the surgery that she needs and she doesn't want yep. to. Right. Yep. But I think the living will part <laughs> um, so is important. 
it's so important because that is such a hard decision to make for someone being someone who's had to make these decisions. And yeah. it's like, do we, do we keep her? Like, am I telling you to pull the plug? Like, it's just, <laughs> it's hard. It's, and, and nobody wants to feel like they killed their family member. No like, one. <laughs> if we had given them, if we had just given her two more weeks to fight, could she have recovered? Could she have done it? Yeah. You don't want that to be what's on your family's conscience because life is for the living. And if you don't want to be in those situations and you don't want them to keep you on a ventilator because that's not the quality of life that you would want Mm -hmm. to live, then tell them that. Don't expect them to know that. And that's really important for just peace of mind and to minimize family fighting because we will have families that come in and they'll be like, I know that you're the healthcare power of attorney, but I think you're making the wrong decision. Wow. And now you've got infighting in the family versus people coming together and, and supporting, really supporting yeah exactly <laughs> and exactly. it's and you hate to make the generalization but we're going to do it here right now for just you know okay. conversation <laughs> um but you we've seen uh they always say death is one of those things that tears families apart and yeah. you have people fighting over big mama's house and twenty thousand dollars you know <laughs> when this yeah. could have all been designated and and done in advance and 100%. i see the um i'm sure you've seen it just by the work that you do um the meme that's going around it's like don't sell grandma's house or big mama's house but sometimes that's the only choice that families have because nothing nobody was, can agree. Yeah, like nope. nobody can get agree on anything. So it's like, all right, and, we got to sell you know, it. But when we think about that, right? So, so I am the co-founder of, of a club on Clubhouse, which is a new sort of social mm-hmm. media app, right? Um, called the Black Trust Fund Kids. And in that club, we are normalizing this conversation around Black intergenerational wealth transfer and really why these things are so important and changing that narrative in our community that probate is necessary and Mm -hmm. that we can't build wealth across generations because we can, we just have to be able to talk about it. We've got to be willing to be honest about who our beneficiaries are and then make some of these hard decisions on the front end. 40% of African-American families own their home. Mm -hmm. And that number is going down. It is Mm -hmm. exponentially more difficult for African-Americans with student loan debt and and the lack of credit, right? Because there's all of these financial pieces that we're not taught along the generation. Yeah. So we are constantly starting over from zero or a negative. And so it's harder and harder for each successive generation to get access to the market. But we also know that two thirds of wealth in the middle class is held in home ownership, in mm-hmm. home equity. Mm-hmm. And so if we are thinking about all of the things that our parents and our grandparents and our great grandparents had to go to, to even be able to attain that house, right? Redlining, uh, subprime mortgages, the FHA loans, where they basically said, nope, we're not going to, we're not going to insure a mortgage in your community because it's a black community with the redlining where the GI bill was not, was not evenly dispersed Mm. for our service members in our community. And the fact that that was never redressed, even in spite of all of that, if your grandparent or your great grandparent was still able to acquire home ownership, something like more than 50% of wealth in the black community was lost in 2008. Wow. More than 50%. And when we think about all of that, and if your family was still able to hold on to this property, the fact that once they die, you sell it because you don't know what else to do with it because there was no structure for protection. You're basically giving up because you can never buy back what you just gave away. Yeah, that, that's and so that's ah, disheartening to hear. Yeah. Um, and especially <laughs> for me, it doesn't have to be. It that's doesn't right. have to be. Right. Because here's point. another thing. All right, we're gonna go into some more generalizations about <laughs> <laughs> another thing you always hear. Well, I don't really need a will, I don't need to do anything else because I have beneficiaries listed. And I remember at work one time. Um, one of my coworkers was very um, upset there. I think it was their, uh, one of their parents passed away mm-hmm. overseas on a vacation. Same thing. No, no will, no documents in place, but they had beneficiaries. However, the parent did not update the beneficiary to the new spouse. And the, the previous spouse was listed and uh, they had to contact her insurance company wrote her a check for a half a million dollars. And she yep. told that family. Bye. Sorry. <laughs> said, Bye Felicia. And took that money. Right. And, 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 you know, and people always say they're like, 
Paul, why wouldn't she do the honorable thing? Bye, Felicia. She don't have to. There, there was literally, I, I own that. Like, I own that. And, and we say this all the time, too. It's like, you've got to make sure your beneficiary designations are updated every time there is some form of a life event. I mean, beneficiary designations are great on particular assets. But in the reality, it is not an estate plan. Mm-hmm. Right? In an estate plan, we currently, and I don't know when this is going to air, but currently, as of today, right, February 8th, 2021, because <laughs> I don't know when this is going to no. air or when somebody might see it. But as of today, the federal estate tax exemption is $11.62 million, essentially per person okay. that you can pass estate tax-free federally. In a place like California, where you know our main office is, there is no state estate tax currently, which means oh, everybody's wow. operating under the federal exemption level, right? Which is crazy. If you have the appropriate estate plan, you can pass that much wealth estate tax free. Wow. That's and and we're losing more than 30% of our of our assets going through the probate court, which is hundred percent avoidable, but you can pass millions and millions of dollars of state tax free. So if we're not making a plan and there's something called the generation skipping tax exemption, which means you can also plan for your grandchildren, similar to the way you plan for your children. So a, a proper estate plan is really going to lock in these protections up across generations. You know, wow. you can provide certain levels of creditor protection in our community, we have more complex family structures. They're not easily accounted for under the law, whether that be blended families. Mm-hmm. We have the issue of the war on drugs, which is essentially a war on black people and black and brown people. And so there are a lot of people in the baby boomer generation that have children who were either incarcerated or addicted persons. And we can't just leave them mm-hmm. assets outright. We have to plan for them specifically for where they are. Yes. Right? Because if you have three kids, and two of them are doing well and fairly stable. And one of them got caught up in, in the war on drugs. And I'm not saying that that's that person's fault, right? Absolutely, yeah. But if they were caught up in that, we have to consider that. Because if they were incarcerated, they might have back child support issues. They might have restitution issues. They may yeah. owe things to the to the state that when they inherit a third of this one house that you have to leave that has the ability to be the golden goose that keeps laying golden eggs for your families across, uh, for generations, right? If leveraged appropriately, their issues will impact all mm-hmm. three of their inheritance because now their de- their creditors can attach to the asset that they yes. have to repay, which could force a sale for the other beneficiaries who now do not have what they need to buy back what they just lost. And we have to be really clear about the fact that you can protect against that. There are ways. It is an estate plan, though. It's a a comprehensive estate plan that is specific for each individual person's family and their beneficiaries and what they might need and what that goal looks like. And I love that you just mentioned that portion, because sometimes we do forget about people who, you know, have alternative paths, routes in life. And again, I'm. I think what triggered uh, me to start paying attention to to this is you hear people sharing stories, which I do appreciate because it's like, Mm -hmm. it's the only way you learn is by you hear others' experiences, you share your experiences and a situation like this, someone else that I knew, uh, same thing, a relative passed away, left inheritance. And I I believe I read a statistic too. It was like most uh, white people, when they get an inheritance, it's not that much money that changes their life. It's like $30,000 on average. But if we're losing out money to court costs and all that stuff, I see how we can fall behind. But in this story, this person, one of the siblings was in jail Mm -hmm. in the state of Kentucky. And because of the laws there in Kentucky... (laughs) All of this money that particular sibling got, the state of Kentucky was like, thanks, and yep. just like took it. And they were trying to like stop, but it was like all these liens, per, like a house that they owned, that sibling yep. had a third, the state of Kentucky filed a lien against the property. Like it was yep. just all of this stuff they had to deal with. Because nobody thinks about it. Yeah. Because they, and and again, it's the issue becomes that we haven't been educated about exactly. the fact that these are issues. And that's nobody's fault, right? Like the way our society works is that as a community, we just have not been privy to this information. And I, and I like to remind people, like, let's be really 
clear for 250 plus years, we were the wealth of this country. We were the property. Yes. We we were the wealth. When you think about the first stocks being traded on the stock exchange, that was us. Yes. So when you're talking about passing wealth and creation of wealth, like we were what was being passed down in wills and trusts to other people's families. We were that property. And so now we're talking about, well, how do we use this structure that, that was used to continue to pass us as property? Nobody emancipation. Nobody was like, okay, well now here's the good, here's the book on how to do it. it. (laughs) But you know, what's happened is, is we we've had civil rights and we've had people, you know, accessing these spaces. And even then it's not something that's taught. And so if you were able to come into contact in professional spheres with people who maybe could give you a little bit of this information, and then, you know, our generation that started to really integrate more Right. Mm-hmm. And and then now this this access and the fact that we have more people graduating from college and graduating from law school. Let me tell you, in my law school, estates and trust was an elective. Whoa, wow. So there are a lot of attorneys who don't even understand estates and trust because they've never taken it. So it you was need not to, a requirement. You need to get an estate attorney. <laughs> like you you should I mean, I, that would be my recommendation. <laughs> you wanna you wanna get with someone who understands the nuances of this. Because I've talked to attorneys where they've been like, I need a will. And I'm like, yeah, you don't. And I don't know why that's what you think. Because you understand how the law works. And they're like, I do criminal law. And I'm like, that's why you don't <laughs> understand what, how this works. Got it. Um, you know, and and it's important to be good in your space. Right? There are yeah. a lot of things where people will come to me and they'll be like, what about family law? I'm like, I don't do family law. I was like, your divorce, I cannot help you with your divorce. I'm <laughs> to someone who can help you with a divorce. I cannot help you with your divorce. Your estate plan, however, that um, I can help you do. Like, come holla at your girl. So right, how, come holla at me about that. How often should people, like, plan to update their plans? I know you said whenever there's a life change, but should there yep. be, like, let's look biannually, annually at our plans? Yeah. So we actually send out a letter in our office. It's really, you know, a simple email sort of checklist. Like, hey, what's up? Just checking in. It's been a year, you know, since you signed your plan. Have any of these things happened? And it's sort of just like, has anyone been born? Has anybody died? Has anybody gotten married? You know, has anyone had any, uh, you know, become special needs? Has your asset yeah. level changed dramatically? Like, have any of these things happened that would require us to then come back and, and just analyze your plan and make sure it's still working the way you want it to? Because, you know, someone might have a, a grandbaby now and they haven't considered that grandbaby in their plan, but maybe they want to take a portion of the money that's inside of their plan and set up, set aside mm-hmm. an educational fund. And, and that that's going to be an update that you're going to need to do because that would not have been considered in your original plan because that child didn't exist before, right? And if somebody becomes special needs, they have to inherit differently. And by special means, I do mean I do just sort of mean uh, receiving government services, okay? Right? So you know, it's not necessarily that someone is you know uh, differently abled, but it, it might be that they're receiving housing assistance, gotcha. or you know they're getting SSI and disability. And you don't want to impact those government services because what you're leaving might not be enough. Okay. Awesome. So, you know, once we do the sort of one year review, right, every five years, you're probably going to want to update your powers of attorney. Okay. Five years or less, right? Three is really the good sweet spot just to make sure that you're reaffir- reaffirming your elections, whatever those might be, whoever those people may be. Um, again, something like COVID happening, you're going to want to review <laughs> your advanced healthcare directives and make sure that they still work for what you want. Um, but people die. You fall out with people. I mean, if you think about it, is your best friend from middle school still your best friend now? And would yeah. you want them making your medical decisions? Maybe. And if they are, great. But if they're not, right, if your circle has changed, then you're probably going to want somebody else to be that person who's in charge of that. And a lot of times we also pick our parents, which is <laughs> wonderful. Like I, you know, I love my parents and I think that they would do great in that role. But, you know, again, I've mentioned it many times. My son is three. And if I'm yeah. thinking about them as guardians today, right now, sure, they're, they're spry and they could definitely <laughs> do it. But when my son's 12 and a pain in the butt or 16 and yeah. out of the house and my dad's, you know, pushing 90. Is he going to have to make another house transition because he then buries his grandparents? Mm. Am I going to make him a premature caregiver because they'll start to need 
care. 63% of people over the age of 65 need some form of care before they pass away with the average amount of care being about 2.5 years. So if I pick them, what does that mean for him? And if he's got to make a second house transition, how does that affect his his educational plan? How does that affect him on his trajectory? If college is still a thing, who's to say, but if college (laughs) is still a thing at that point, you know, some disruption in his ninth or 10th grade year could impact his grades, which impact his future. And so when we think about estate planning, people are like, oh, I just need to, well, I just need to figure out where it goes. It's like, no, like this is your family's security for generations. And how do we protect that? How do we make sure that our goals are being met and that our family is being cared for? Because if I pass away, my son, the only thing he has left of me is my estate, right? Because wow. he can't take it with you. So yeah. the only thing he's got left is whatever I'm leaving him. How I leave it to him shows my values, shows the things that are important to me, allows me to encourage him, allows me to show him that I care, that I'm that I am proud of him. So there's things in my plan where if he graduates from high school, he gets a little teeny tiny bit of money unrestricted to do whatever mm-hmm. he wants with. And my estate planning letter says, hey... I think you should use this to travel because I think travel is an important part of rounding out your education. I think it would be important for you to see the world and see how we interplay because it'll broaden your horizons beyond where you are. Obviously, you can do whatever you want with this, but my goal is for you to do this. And I've gone so far as to say, you know, I went to Italy and I did this and I and I went here and I lived in France and I went here and I lived in Spain. And those experiences really helped me to see the world differently. And I would hope that you would do that. Right. But that's me sharing with him my values and giving him the resources to do it. If he gets a full ride to college, he gets another lump sum of money divided up over four years because you got to keep that. Come on. on I wasn't born yesterday. (laughs) Mm. Um, But but that then encourages him to say, "Okay, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you for how hard you worked. And I want you to have this, to have the things that you can do. If you didn't get a full ride to college, it doesn't mean I'm not proud of you, but it means that that money now needs to be used for your college education because it's my value that I don't want you to come out of school with debt. I want to make sure that Uh. you can come out debt free so that from a financial standpoint, you're good. But if you worked hard and you got yourself a free ride, then yo, there's a little bit of money in this estate for you to have to do what you want with. If you want to stunt with a car, if you want to do what you say, <laughs> that's on you. And in my estate planning letter, I say, I hope that you will consider buying a house and wherever you're going to go to school and getting roommates because that's a great financial decision and land is always important. Obviously, you're going to do whatever you want, but like this is what I would hope you would make those decisions with this money that I'm giving you. But I'm proud of you, so you go do whatever you want with this money. But this is a good way to set up your financial future. Look, that just pulled on my heartstrings. I don't even have kids, but I would love <laughs> to do the same type of planning because God forbid. You could. Like, I you, mean, you, you could. If you yeah. have nieces or nephews or godchildren. And like, so that, yeah. You could do that. Yeah, for sure. I almost lost you again. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm like, ah, oh, come You're on, like, hold on. Lights. Come yeah. on, lights. <laughs> <laughs> I looked over at the clock and it's like, I'm like, no. Um, but yeah, I, that is amazing. And I think people who are parents or nieces or the rich auntie that everybody like, you know, wants every, to be. Everybody's out here with the rich auntie. <laughs> My little sister's in the other room. Thing, and she's like, yeah, I'm that, I'm that auntie. I'm the, I'm the auntie. I'm exactly. Like, okay, cool. That <laughs> that would be so amazing to do for a young person in your life, whether it's your child or, you know, nephew. But it doesn't, but it doesn't have to be a young person yeah. because the reality is, is financial literacy. Um, there are a lot of people who are 50 who have zero financial literacy. And so if you are the person who has been able to be successful and learn these things in your family, because of this legacy of slavery and this history of systemic mm. oppression in this country, many of our family members do not have the same know-how that we have. We didn't all get the same education. And I recognize that, you know, I I have the privilege of having this information, which is why I share it so readily. I'm like, let me give as much as what I've got to as many people as possible so that they can take that into their own families. But if you're the one who's heard it and you do the plan, that doesn't mean that people who come behind you have heard it. Yeah. It's not just out there. So your plan can be restrictive enough to say, I don't want you to sell my real estate. And, you know, I don't want you to sell my real estate because I think real estate's an important part of a portfolio. And so you can restrict their ability to sell. Why? Because it's yours. 
Wow. And I don't have to give it to you. And if I'm giving it to you, I'm giving it to you under these particular situations and parameters. So you can take the real estate and use it for these certain things, but you are not allowed to sell it. And you can say that in your estate plan, depending on the type of plan you create, you can say that. You can even go further on, which is one of the things that I've done, which is crazy. Um, (laughs) But, but, you know, I've got to give him the structure, particularly if I've gone early, I've got to give him the structure. So not only can you not sell it, but I do want you to be able to leverage it. I want you to be able to take money out of this house because that's where value comes in the equity proposition, right? So you can take money out, but I'm not going to let you put it underwater where we saw all these people whose homes Mm. were, they owed more on these homes than they were worth because of this, this crash in the market. So you can take up to 70% of the fair rental value. Mm. So if at the time the house is able to be rented for about $2,000 a month, your monthly payment cannot be more than 70% of that. And whatever that total amount is that you can take out at that time, that's what you can take out. Good luck. And that's sort of creating this structure that whoever is renting the property is not only paying back that mortgage, so it's not coming out of his pocket, but trying to keep the property as an asset versus a liability. Oh and my if the God, market does this. drop, hopefully it doesn't drop more than 30%, but if it does drop, at the very least, there's some wiggle room and there's some money that can be put away for you know maintenance and, and support yeah. and the things that are going to have to happen on that house. But you just took out about three hundred thousand uh, dollars out of that property that you now can leverage into another home. You can leverage into a business. You can go to school with like all of these things. I've created a structure for you in my plan and restricted you across generations, by the way. So for him and for his kids um, to create this financial baseline, that's and that's amazing. the thing that we really keep trying to get our community to understand is you can build your financial house for your family with concrete and steel. And unfortunately, what we are doing right now is we're building it on quicksand, that the moment Mm. something happens, everything we get up every day to work for is starting to just drain out of our estates underneath these houses that we've built. And then they just, they collapse. Mm. And the research shows us, the research shows us that we are starting from zero or a negative every generation. Every time, wow. There is a study that came out in 2017, and this was before COVID, that said by 2053, the median net worth for Black families was set to hit zero. Zero. It would take Hispanic families another 20 years, 2073, to hit the same result. One in 800 African Americans died in 2020 because of COVID-19. We were one of the most affected groups by this pandemic. We were also the ones who had no financial safety net as as a community. Mm -hmm that we had to be the ones who were working on the front lines, driving the Ubers, stocking the grocery shelves. And that's not to say that other people weren't. I'm not taking away from our first responders who have been incredible during this pandemic, but our community has been disproportionately affected, which has accelerated that timeline on that road to 2053. And so we've got maybe, you know, 10 to 20 years at best to effectively cover our baby boomer population with comprehensive estate planning before that road to 2053 may become um, irreversible because we can't buy back a paid off house. We cannot buy back what those economics have the ability to do for us in terms of growth over time. And it requires a plan. But again, 70% of us don't have a plan. We don't have a plan in place. (laughs) We don't have the, we don't have a plan. And of that 30% that do have a plan, Oftentimes they have a will, which is insufficient for what their family or their asset level needs to avoid court or to protect that wealth. There have been other studies that have said unrestricted inheritances and inheritances that are just given outright without any form of here's a check. Yeah, right. Here's a check. Here's a house. Like, go do it are typically squandered within three to five years of receipt. I could. I believe it. I believe people are like, oh, I'm sad. My parents died. I just got a whole bunch of money that I didn't have to work for. Let me go like buy some stuff and go on a trip. Yeah. Or let me pay off debt. Pay off debt is a really big one, right? They're like, get this, get this, the weight of this debt monkey off my back. Like, get rid of it. And they say, pay off debt, but they haven't actually changed the behavior that gotten them into And so they're back right back in the same spot. Yeah. And now they don't have any money to make an investment. You know, a a financial advisor that I know who I, uh, you know, very much respect, he was like, if you have $20,000 worth of debt on this side and it's at a 5% interest rate, and you've got $20,000 in cash over here, 
that you can make an investment over there and get 10% return. If you spend that $20,000 paying off that debt that's over here at 5%, you don't have that money to make that investment. So you mm-hmm. could make that investment at 10%, get your 10% return, still pay off that 20% at the five and still make 5% return on your money until that's paid off. And now you're making 10. Now your money's making money. Why would you pay someone off and have zero and now have no moves you can make? Oh, but, but again, everybody's situation is different. If that debt's at 25%, then we might need to attack it. Yeah. We might have a different, <laughs> have a different conversation, yeah. but it, so it's all a matter of like individually, what is your family structure and economic structure just, looking like and how can you best attack that with a plan? Yeah. Um, and that's why it's personalized. You know, that's why I mean, you should go makes, to someone who specializes. It, in this that, is why you go focuses. to professionals. This is why you right. go to professionals. <laughs> that's why you go to professionals. I think the last topic I want to cover before we wrap up is yeah. we're in this day and age where it's hustle culture and everyone has a side hustle. People have businesses and LLCs and we all have yeah. digital assets. Um, is there, <laughs> you know, have estate plans of kept up with technology in the sense that, you know, you can say I have trademarks. I have an mm-hmm. Instagram account that has 2 million followers that that's yep. worth value. How mm-hmm. can I protect that asset even in death? Yeah. So you're, I mean, your digital assets are assets. And so you've got to prepare for them. What happens? Who who gets access to them? Who gets to manage them? Who gets to continue to monetize them? If it is your image that people are monetizing, I, I think Robin Williams did it best, right? He completely restricted in his estate plan what his image could be used for after death. And like that was a valuable asset that his newest wife could have monetized, mm-hmm. um, except for the fact that he said, no, you can't. <laughs> to do that because it's his asset. Right. And he's allowed to say, yeah, you can continue to make money off of what I've already done, but you're not going to sell me and put me on a McDonald's commercial, like something I would never have done during life. Yeah. You're not going to be like, I need money or I want more money and I'm going to put you over here. And so, you know, you can absolutely plan for these things. Again, trademarks are not new. Businesses are not new. People have been putting Mm -hmm. these types of things into estate plans for generations. It is just new to our community yes. in this in this way. The internet, yes, the internet is new. <laughs> uh, but digital assets are, are much like any other asset. And, and businesses are the same, right? What's your business succession plan? I don't care if it's your side hustle and you sell barrettes on, Inst- on, on, on Etsy, right? If you are making money off of that business, what's your succession plan? Because if you have orders and something happens to you, who is going them. to be able to step up and fill those orders? And if they don't, and people got paid you money for something that they never got, who's going to refund them their money? Mm. Or are they going to be suing your estate because you didn't have a plan in place? Mm. Right? So, I mean, even when I say an estate plan is for everybody, if you are over the age of 18 or you're an emancipated minor, everybody needs an estate plan. She means plan. it. <laughs> we don't all need the same estate plan. But, but need... we all need something in place that talks about how do we deal with us and everything that we are doing. Because we all have something that we're doing, whether you're a W-2 employee, whether you're a 1099, whether you've got your own businesses, whatever it is that you're doing, something has to happen with what it is that you're doing. Mm-hmm. And somebody has to be legally authorized to step up to do it. Because if things are in your own name, then a court is going to have to transfer them out of your name. A power of attorney terminates on death. So even if you institute a power of attorney for incapacity, they are no longer able to sign your name the moment you die. And so the only entity that is able to do that is the court, unless you have set up some form of trust structure while you are alive to transfer your assets before you passed away. Because your trust survives you. And so you may die but now you don't need court interference to transfer your assets because you've already picked the people who are able to step up and manage those assets yeah. as your successor trustees to get them to your beneficiaries however you've designated. And that's the that's the big change. That's the big piece. In our community, a lot of times people think probate is a rite of passage. They think it is a necessity when mm-hmm. someone dies. And it is an 100% avoidable process if properly planned for. Yeah. And that's the piece I want people to know. 
I'm just listening to like I don't know how anyone who has listened to this entire episode walks away from this and say I'm good because I'm we just 70% of us listening to this have no plan in place. <laughs> so right. I really I really do hope that you're inspired to get your affairs, your paperwork, everything in order because you know, it's your voice. You get to decide whether you're here. Do it while you're here and don't let anyone else make those decisions for you. So I want us to go. I mean, they are hard conversations, right? Yeah. Sorry. And it's like, no one wants to, it's just the thing in the black community. But I was just saying they're hard conversations. It's hard to have with the older, the, the older members of our community. Yes. To, to be fair, right. The older members of our community have had to deal with law changes. They've had to deal with, I mean, you know, many of them are alive during the black wall street. When we think about our grandparents' generations, I mean, they have seen systemic Yes. Uh, racial oppression and economic oppression by not only the community, but also the government. I mean, Wells Fargo paid out millions of dollars for uh, the subprime mortgages that they promoted to our community. So, yes, specifically. Our <laughs> yes. Well, they, pre- they presented them as wealth building seminars. And so when people come out and start to talk to our community about hey, here's how we can protect your wealth. And you just got to transfer your deed over into the name of this legal document we made. People are like, nope. Yeah, it's, always, you. it's the mistrust. It's the mistrust with everything. Right? But, it's, but, it, but it's well-founded mistrust. Yes, of course. Right? Like, yes. I understand that, which is why representation matters. And I do get all, kin, all skin folk and kin folk. Like, I get that part. Mm-hmm. But there is an important piece to the fact that there are not very many people who do this work on a comprehensive level that look like me, right? My, my other co-founder of the Black Trust Fund Kids, Ify Beckway, uh, she is of a Beckway law in, in Houston, Texas, and soon to be Arkansas. And, you know, we have these conversations all the time. She's building out a national list of Black estate planning attorneys. Awesome. And we can't even cover every state. Like, we literally have not been able to find an attorney who looks like us in every state. Oh, wow. And so when I, when I say that there are not a lot of people who do this kind of work, many of us go into you know, the corporate space or the, or the criminal space, but this is not a space that most people even have exposure to. Yeah, and, wow. and so it's so important that we continue to amplify these messages to make sure that this conversation gets normalized. I mean, my mo- I'm lucky enough that my mom and I are partners in this firm together. Like we're both attorneys. That's cool. I, it's, it's a fun ride, you know, but like <laughs> this whole, um, you know, intergenerational wealth conversation, like we live it, right? Like we are multi-generation building out a business. Um, and, We've written a book that's coming out soon. Again, I don't know when this podcast is going to air, but um, (laughs) we've written a book, uh, you know, The Little Black Book of Black Generational Wealth. And it is really the historical context of of what has happened and then really what can we do going forward. Um, So that is actually going into pre-launch with pre-orders coming out soon. And so that will be on our website come about March 15th. The pre-orders will be open for people to come in and, and get that. So I'm excited about that. Perfect. So yeah. now I want to do the breakdown. And so oh my goodness. I, yeah, I'm going to say one word and you're going to say the first thing that comes to mind. Yours this is your, dangerous. Yours is good. Yours is good. Uh, <laughs> and it's so funny. Okay. You'll see which one is funny to me because you said this company and I didn't even know you were going to go there. Uh, first one is black women. Girl truck. Money. You look so scared. (laughs) (laughs) Big Mama's house. Don't sell. Wealth. Make it intergenerational. Parenting. Difficult in a pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) Wells Fargo. The devil. Oh, no, they're going to sue me for that one. Start over. We'll strike that from the record. <laughs> like, but I will Go say around. this though. I did close my accounts there because it was just like, they just have a poor history and I did not sign up to bank with Wells Fargo. I was with well- Wachovia and they bought them out years ago. And it's just, you know, it sucks moving your it's bank account, it's just, yeah, it's a pain. but it was just like, I had heard, I had had enough. Like you got, every time you turn around, they were like in the, the news pipeline, the, you know, <laughs> Stealing black people. Yeah, it was just too much. Opening accounts and people's names. Like, it was just way too much. Um, Yeah. Okay, last. So let's try Wells Fargo again. Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo. Uh, 
no, they're going to come after me. No. Yeah. Last mm. one, equity. Mm. Now. Now. I like it. So, Portia, would you be so kind to give everyone your website where they can follow you on social media? Yeah. All that stuff. Plug away. All that good jazz. Yep. So, uh, we are woodlegalgroup.com. Um, we are woodlegal group across all social. Instagram is probably Instagram and Facebook is where we are the most visible. Uh, I have a Twitter account. I very rarely <laughs> use it. Uh, although recently I've been like, doge, doge, doge. It's been, uh, it's been a fun ride watching Elon Musk put out oh, all these crazy memes. Into the crypto, yeah. Girl, I'm just like, <laughs> hi, Elon. And then he... Yeah, he just bought like $1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin, Bitcoin today, or the, the announcement was announced today. Yeah. Um, I mean, people have been like, what is crypto? And I'm like, guys, we gotta, we've got to start expanding our economic horizons. Like, I'm not a financial advisor, so this is not financial advice. But, you know, there is a whole redistribution of wealth that people are trying to do um, through this idea of collective economics through, you know, the, the GameStop thing we saw, the AMC we saw, we saw the mm-hmm. plug for Dogecoin, we've seen Bitcoin, we've seen the cryptos go up and this, this idea of de- decentralized um, currency. Mm-hmm. And it's important for us to at least pay attention because it's happening, right? Yes. And, and, and the hard part is, is that we are just now starting to figure out the markets in a real way as a, as a community, right? Like places like Robinhood, really made um, investing available for it's the everyday people. Accessible. Despite the fact that Robinhood has incredible, incredibly complicated uh, <laughs> situations, right? Like I hear on, on Clubhouse all the time, like, get out of the hood. It's terrible. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, it, what it did was provide exposure to to our community specifically that historically did not have exposure or access to this type of money play. And people have seen incredible returns by being able to to learn this market and how it functions. Yeah. And so I I think that we we have to continue to pay attention to how we can educate ourselves about the markets and what that looks like and how do we we invest because you know I think it, I think it's uh, Mark Monroe of the Come Up Cousins who says get your reparations out of the market, stop trying to push the federal government to give us something that they are never going to give us. I mean, we can't even get Congress to agree to study. No, to study reparations. We can't get them to agree to study it, to see what it could even look like. We can fight that fight all day long, but there are tangible things that we can be doing now today, such as protecting what we've already built and figuring out how these systems actually work to be active participants in them. And I think that that's incredibly important as well. So this whole push that's happening on social media and this interconnectedness of individuals or the retail trader mm. um, has been really inspiring. So I, yeah. I know I kept saying doge, right? Like, you know, in all fairness, it's like I new. own doge, but I mean, it's a joke. It's a meme crypto, right? It was created as a joke. I bought it years ago thinking it was funny. Like nobody now ever it's expected like, it to go anywhere. And now it's but, moving. <laughs> and now it's moving like a lot, but but, but but that just goes to show the point, right, that that we as a collective hold the actual power. And we've gotten so far away from that idea as individuals, we we hold power and can create actual change. And we've yeah. seen it with the protest movement and, you know, for the fight for black lives. And we've seen it with, you know, the Occupy Wall Street movement. We've started to to remember that we as the collective create what we see around us. And it's not the institutions, it's us. And so I, I just want, you know, once you know the information, you are responsible for it. So after you've seen this podcast, you know I what love you it. in your estate plan and, and be responsible for sharing that information with your family because they may never hear it anywhere else. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's our job to make sure that we're expanding this message, that we are taking it to the far corners. Because I don't care if you have $10 or $10 billion. You have to have some form of an estate plan in place to protect whatever it is that you have and keep your family out of the court system. So that would be my final leg. That's your final word. Like I think that is 
That is the perfect segue note to end on. Um, it, it summed up everything that we've talked about. And it's a charge to, to take this information and give it to someone else who did not hear. So share this episode or if you took notes, which I'm sure I was taking notes as I was recording. So <laughs> hopefully you took some notes and you have something to, to take away and give to someone else. So thank you so much, Portia, for doing this. Yeah, thank I, you for having me. I, I appreciate greatly it. appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. All right, that is it for this week's episode. I want to thank our guest, Portia Wood Esquire, for coming on and dropping so many gems about estate planning. And I hope those statistics about Black family wealth and how much money is lost going through the probate process inspired you to get something formalized for your very own estate plans. Be sure to follow all linked in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to listen and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or any app that you listen to your favorites on. Don't forget to leave those reviews too. You might just hear your review in the next episode. Follow us on all social media. Share the episode with those you love, those you don't love, those you fucking hate. I don't make these pretty images for nothing, okay? Have a dope-ass week. Stay healthy, safe, and sane. And remember, the ratchet in me always honors the ratchet in you. Until next time.